HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. It's the final stretch of 2022, and HRN needs your help. Become an HRN member with a donation of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome baker extraordinaire Frank Barron. In this episode, we'll talk to Frank about Paris and Wintertime, his cookbook, Sweet Paris, and we'll hear Frank's Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. It's hard to think of a place that inspired Julia more than Paris. It was her first home in France, and it was the place where she learned to love cooking. It's also the place where she applied American ingenuity and work ethic to mastering French food. And what could be better than taking inspiration from one of the most romanticized times of the year in Paris, the holidays? In reality, Paris tends to empty out of Parisians during the festive season. But for those who remain, it can feel like you have the city to yourself. You just have to be more strategic about which cafes, bakeries, and restaurants are open, plan ahead for doing your shopping, and perhaps be more self-reliant in your tiny Parisian kitchen than at other times of the year. Given how much Julia loved the combination of great food and great company, it's easy to imagine her setting out a holiday spread on the Rue de Lou as snowflakes gently fall along the Seine. Another Southern California native who's brought his own American perspective to Paris is Frank Barron. Born and raised in San Diego, Frank found his way to Paris when his partner was transferred there for work. 
Previously, he'd majored in art history at Berkeley and worked in fine art museums in San Francisco. Arriving in Paris without a work permit, Frank found salvation and belonging by baking American-inspired cakes, which garnered fans at local Parisian cafes and among Paris's expat community. Frank's passion for American-style baking matched with French seasonal sensibilities became a winning combination taking off with his popular at Cakeboy Paris Instagram. A self-taught baker, Frank's success led to his first cookbook, Sweet Paris, Seasonal Recipes from an American Baker in France. It includes more than 50 recipes that combine an American approach to cakes and pastry with the French mindset of using seasonal ingredients. Full disclosure, our own producer, Lauren Salkeld, worked with Frank on the book. But that means it also comes with her much sought after seal of approval. Frank joins us today to tell us more about wintertime baking in Paris and how he's spending the holidays in the City of Light. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. Thank you so much, Todd, for having me. We're glad you could join us and excited to talk about Paris at the holidays. But before we get to the holidays, I was just curious, how did you end up becoming this you know, sort of ambassador for American-style cakes in Paris? What was the path that <laughs> led you there? I, I love that title. Uh, definitely love to think of myself as like a cultural cake attaché, <laughs> <laughs> spreading the buttercream love throughout France for sure. Um, I, I guess it started but when I moved here in 2012. Um, I sort of committed that first year in Paris to trying as many French pastries as I could. Um, because when we moved here, we were only supposed to be here for one to two years, um, cut to 10 years later today. Wow. However, uh, yeah, I um, decided that I was going to go out and just try as much pastry as I could while I was here. And I think after that first year, I sort of uh, wound down my Parisian pastry love a bit and started to really crave a taste of home and realized that you really just couldn't find American-style cakes in Paris. It was a really rare thing to find, for example, a layer cake or a birthday-style cake or my one of my personal favorites, a bunt cake. Um, and I decided that I was just going to have to make them for myself, and that's how I started to get into baking. Um, before moving to Paris, I, I was not a baker. Uh, I never baked. I usually picked up my cakes and things at bakeries. And uh, shout out to Miette in San Francisco. And I essentially started to teach myself how to, um, how to properly make a, an American layer cake, which I didn't know how to do before. Uh, YouTube was instrumental in getting all of that right. But eventually I started to host friends to come over to my house to have cake parties. And uh, one of those friends uh, owned a cafe in my neighborhood in the Marais. And he was very impressed with a particular cake I made and asked if I could make one for his cafe. And of course I was dumbfounded by that. And I said, no. And <laughs> I, I really protested and I was like, I'm not a baker. I'm not a cake maker. I, I just did, you know, this is, and he, he really uh, pressed me and eventually uh, won me over. And I said, sure, it could be fun. And so I brought a cake to his cafe on a Saturday and it was a big hit. And from that, uh, doing that same yes to that one um, 
opportunity uh, turned into something where a bunch of other cafe owners in Paris uh, started to reach out to me and were like, hey, we saw that cake you made for Fondation Cafe. Uh, could you make one for us? And I really, again, it kind of points to the fact that it really was hard to find that style of cake and sort of just big, giant cakes smothered in buttercream. And of course, uh, the expats here, American expats, and I might add like Canadian expats love that style of cake as well. So I just quickly started to accept that I was, this is something that I was going to be doing, making cakes uh, part-time and bringing them to all these various cafes around the city. And I think w one question I want to get get into is Paris, Paris is not the easiest place to live logistically. While it's very romantic, it, it's, it has challenges like similar to New York, maybe sometimes San Francisco. So how did you even like manage the equipment? Didn't, were you using French flour? Did you have people send you stuff from the States? How did you even cope with the logistics? So that is actually interesting because in the very beginning, I absolutely had so many cake fails because they had, I mean, the flour here is completely different as well as uh, there's no such thing as separate baking powder and baking soda like we use in the States. Um, it's usually sold together combined in a small packet. So you can't really measure out the baking soda and baking powder. So there were a lot of uh, <laughs> flat cakes in the beginning. There were a lot of cake, uh, cake cave-ins that happened to me. And eventually um, I actually took a trip to London via Eurostar and just two hours away. And they have a Whole Foods it's in London, luckily. And I did do some shopping for baking powder and baking supplies and brought them back. And I kept a little stash of that stuff at home. And so that was one way that I got around some of the ingredients I was using uh, that I was used to using. Um, but eventually my mom started sending me care packages uh, with Trader Joe's supplies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was like treasure to me. So that actually gives you sort of a lock on the business because someone else in Paris can't just go out and easily find those ingredients. You, you need, you need uh, secret sources to ship you. You really do. I, I got a lot of uh, basically ba other bakers asking me, you know, what, what was I using? Where, where could they find vanilla, uh, Nielsen Massey vanilla, for example, that I was bringing back from California. And I'm like, e, sorry, I, I went to London or I got it shipped to me from my family back home. Um, but yes, those specialty ingredients were really treasured by me in the early stage because there just weren't really equivalents um, for American style baking that I was used to. Yeah, and maybe just to underline it, the, 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 that's the big difference. Like the French don't really eat cakes that are risen or like you said, layer cakes or use a lot of buttercream in the way that Americans or British or Canadian people would. Absolutely, and not to mention um, all the candy decorations that we like to put on our baked goods, a la rainbow sprinkles, which aren't really a thing here. Um, I get this question asked of me a lot as to if the French don't use layer cakes for their birthday celebrations, what do they eat? What do they eat? And it's a very simple, like fruit tarts are usually the normal sort of birthday cake celebration, uh, sweet, as well as maybe like a simple pound cake. Uh, which, of course, in the French mode is very, always very elegantly served. 
uh, with like Chantilly whipped cream and whatever seasonal fruits uh, that they're going to use alongside a pound a slice of pound cake. But certainly it is not our six tiered layer cakes covered in vanilla buttercream with candy sprinkles. <laughs> and I was going to say newsflash, the French don't tend to sing happy birthday to people in restaurants, nor would restaurant staffs do that. A hundred percent correct. <laughs> Maybe there's one place in the Marais, and, and for those who don't know, the Marais is this historic district in, in, in Paris, which used to be much more modest, but has become super fashionable, but is also very international they're, they're, it, compared to maybe other parts of Paris in terms of the, the wide mixing of, of people who live there. Absolutely. I've been witness to the 10-year evolution of the Marais, and it's it has changed quite a bit and has, for better or for worse, become a little more commercial, and some of the bigger brands and such have moved into the neighborhood, but it's still a very vibrant and sought-after neighborhood. On the weekends, Parisians from other uh, neighborhoods love to come here and shop and uh, get coffee. There's just a million specialty coffee shops and hip cafes and beautiful boutiques. So it's it's a nice neighborhood to live in as far as like walking out of your front door and having everything right at your front door. Including terrific falafel. Oh, yes. We cannot discount Rue de Rosier and the home of some of the best falafel in the city. And do you want to give a shout out to, um, are there bakeries in the, in, in the Marais that are still carrying your cakes or sometimes have your cakes? You know, I have not had a cake pop up at a cafe in quite some time. And um, however, the first one to officially carry one of my cakes um, is still around. It's called Boot Cafe on Rue de pont in the Troisième. That's the third arrondissement. And Rue de pont I always have a giggle at that because that's uh, the street, uh, the bridge of cabbages. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's such a great name. There's some really great street names in the Marais, and that's one. And Boot Cafe has the privilege of being the tiniest coffee shop in all of Paris. There are just two tables inside and um, owned by an American. And they were the first to officially sort of have my cake and like advertise it as like, we have a cake boy cake here for the weekend. Um, so I there and they're still around, they're still open. A lot of the first places that I did have cake pop-ups, they're no longer around or the owners have closed up shop. So I'm happy that Boot is still around. So is much of your baking now more on demand and like kind of catering driven? Yes, there was, I, I would say that I did the cake pop-ups around Paris for probably uh, one to two years. And it was, it wasn't every weekend. It was sort of like once or twice a month, I would do, do a cake for some, some cafe. Um, but it slowly kind of transitioned into being for um, private order, birthday cakes and celebration things. And then that sort of morphed into me deciding that I wanted to launch these cake decorating workshops. Um, and that sort of was a really fun transition um, and led me to wanting to teach about American layer cakes and how to frost them correctly, how to fill them and then decorate them. So that was a really fun transition, that kind of evolution of what happened with my cake story here that I kind of went from having these cake pop-ups to then doing this cake atelier um, in my apartment. And those were really fun. Um, of course, uh, I stopped doing those during uh, the pandemic and have been kind of slow to restart them 
sense since we've been back into transitioning back into the way things were before. Um, but I would love to continue doing those. They're kind of a seasonal um, workshops where I would do one a season. So I'm very excited to restart that. Well, before we talk more about uh, Sweet Paris, the cookbook specifically, I, I, I want to steal the opportunity to talk about Paris a little bit more. And one thing I was curious about from having, having in my past spent time in Paris and in France, and um, there's the romantic notion of living in Paris, and as, as Netflix is exploiting to great effect. Um, but there's also the reality. And I think, you know, certainly your Instagram feed kind of also augments the romantic notion. I don't think you po post often about the reality. So I was really curious to ask you, now that it's 10 years on after it was only supposed to be one to two years, was there a, a, a key moment or memory where like reality and romance really, you know, when the romance met the reality for you of, oh, it's not all romantic. Uh, I, I, I have had many, many of those moments in my 10 years in Paris. And I can just right at the top of my head think about one of the um, first kind of like real romance kind of fading into reality for me was kind of something that's uh, more surfacey, but I really was shocked at the amount of cigarette smoking that goes on in Paris. <laughs> and I've had my fair share of cigarette butts being flung from balconies above, landing on me throughout the years. Uh, and that was sort of an interesting <laughs> reality check of how that was such a different thing from where I was coming from. But I would say the biggest sort of romance meeting reality uh, for me in Paris has been I think I underestimated uh, my grasp of the French language and I've had so many miscommunications and hilarious sort of lost in translations over the years. Even after being here for 10 years, um, I still struggle with French and its rules and the structure of it. So for me going into 2024 after 10 years of being here, I'm finally like really trying to buckle down and take it a little more seriously and really try and take French classes again um, with a personal goal of being able to one day tell a joke in French and have a French person just guffaw at that joke. I feel like that'll really cement me into French society. So, well, and of course, you have to you say the French sense of humor is quite different too. So, what the French find funny, <laughs> and to make a French person guffaw, you almost have to change the way you think about what kind of joke you would tell. I think absolutely, and that is the mindset I'm trying to, I'm, I'm aiming for. So, we'll see if I can make it there. <laughs> yeah. Well, watching Wednesday on Netflix might help. I feel like that's right. Right. You know, in the I absolutely, that's on my Netflix queue right now. So I'm, right, I'm, gearing, right I'm gearing up. The dark zone <laughs> of what, <I>, yeah. <laughs> I think as you mentioned, um, being Californian as well, I, I mean, I'm just, we're just uh, very smiley people. And I think that's something that hasn't gone away over the 10 years I've been here, but it is definitely met with a little bit of suspicion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, why are you so happy? What yeah, is going well, I, on? Dude, you're always smiling. <laughs> what drug are you taking? So let's talk about Paris and the holidays. Are you are you staying around? And do you feel like the city does shut down and you have it more to yourself? Or or do you feel like, oh no, the Parisians are just replaced by even more tourists? 
No, actually, I. so we are this year, we're going to be staying around. Um, we tend to sometimes also, like the Parisians, sort of escape to countryside uh, places. And last year we were in Normandy, we rented a house in the countryside with a fireplace, and it was just, you know, holiday heaven. I just baked every day something different, and it, we just went on long walks, you know, in the countryside with our dog. But this year we decided we're going to stay in town. And it actually is really lovely. At the end of next week, the Parisians will start leaving en masse um, to, you know, other parts of France or if they're going on vacation or headed to the countryside to celebrate the holidays. And the city definitely becomes a very quiet, much like the end of July and the beginning of August in summer, when also the Parisians head out of town for their holidays for a month and everything shuts down, it's a similar feeling um, the, the few days before Christmas and the few days after. So we really look forward to the city turning into a little kind of sleepy village again. And while there are tourists here, I would say that it still remains quite very chill and very relaxed in comparison to like this week, which has just been jam-packed with people everywhere and the metros are full and all the department stores and shops are busy and the terraces of the cafes are just jam-packed with people um which is lovely and everyone's having their you know starting to get into like their mulled wine and you're smelling chestnuts everywhere all over the city being roasted at corners so it's really a beautiful um scene at the moment especially with all the lights strung up in the different parts of the city uh, but definitely we're looking forward to the quiet that's going to come at the end of next week. And, and have you strategically mapped out what of your favorite shops and restaurants will actually remain open? Or are you just going to play it by ear? So I have actually strategically asked some of my favorite coffee shops who will be remaining open and who will be closing for the holidays. Just uh, I'm one of the strange people who doesn't drink coffee at home but goes out to get it. So I kind of get stranded when all the uh, my favorite cafe, local cafes are closed and shuttered. But I have a few that are going to stay open even on Christmas Day, which I was really surprised by, which is not normal here in Paris. Um, most everything is shut down. However, um, it is nice to know that the, all the beautiful hotels, of course, in the city will remain open. All of the palace hotels, if you wanted to treat yourself to like a beautiful goûter, holiday Christmas goûter at say the Georges Sank or something like that, they're, they're all open. So that's always good to have as a backup. That is great advice. And, and I, I think you've <laughs> succeeded in putting the romantic notions back in. We're going to take okay. a break and we'll be back with more from Franco-American baker, Frank Barron. Stay with us. It's the final stretch of 2022 and HRN needs your help. Our goal for the winter membership drive is to raise $30,000. Become an HRN member with a donation of any amount at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Through creative educational reporting, storytelling, and live events, HRN delivers thought-provoking exchanges about the real issues affecting our global food system. Your donation also supports our internship program, an essential part of HRN's work that educates the next generation of journalists. Donate at the $90 level before December 31st 
and you'll receive a limited-release HRN t-shirt designed exclusively for HRN members by artist Chema Scandal. When you become an HRN member at any level, you'll be the first to know about special events and get news updates created only for Food Radio Insiders. Help us meet our end-of-year fundraising goal with your tax-deductible donation. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate and become a member today. Welcome back. We're talking to Frank Barron about his new cookbook, Sweet Paris, Seasonal Recipes from an American Baker in France. So is the cookbook itself about French baking or American baking, or how, how do you kind of define it? Well, I, I like to describe it as uh, an American uh, baking book, but with French flair. Uh, a number of the recipes are inspired by my favorite French pastries. Uh, like, for example, in the summer chapter, I have a fraisier cake, which is inspired by the fraisier pastry. Um, but I've turned it into a tall layer cake that's filled with layers of strawberry pastry cream, and it's covered in whipped cream frosting. Um, and then there's like, for example, the uh, Gâteau Opera, which is a very famous pastry here in Paris that I love, that was created here in Paris uh, in honor of the Garnier Opera House. And I've turned that into also like a giant towering American cake filled with chocolate buttercream and coffee. Um, so I think that there's uh, the, the, the red line through it is definitely an American style uh, baking, but I've tried to infuse some of the French influences that I've had over the years of living here. Yeah, I was just struck by how kind of Julia-like that is. You wrote a very French book, but very specifically for an American audience and bakers and, and marketplace. Yeah, you know, I thought about, I was thinking about this with Julia and how, you know, she came here to Paris and was so struck by the gastronomy and the food and the joy that the French have with, with cooking and with food and eating and wanted to, of course, bring that back to an American audience. Um, and I kind of find it funny that in a way, what I'm doing is uh, trying to kind of bring that American kind of cozy baking and, and layer cakes and those kinds of things uh, to the audience here in France, which is sort of the opposite in a way, but it's kind of a funny thing that I thought about. And while I know my audience for Sweet Paris is large, since it's in English right now, is largely for an Anglo audience um, and celebrating France and its seasons, um, it's interesting that when I started to bake here and talk, you know, talk to people about American baking, uh, the French um, audience and the French customers at the cafes I was doing pop-ups, they were so curious about American baking and asking me like, well, why is the buttercream so sweet? And what, you know, why are there so many layers and what's, what's this cake for? And it's just a very interesting thing how we kind of, um, French pastry is an exotic thing for us, but never stopping to realize that something like a bundt cake is seen as really exotic here. <laughs> Interesting. That is, that is great. I like I like thinking about bundt bun cakes is exotic. <laughs> right. Um, I was curious too, so for those who haven't seen the book yet, you should get it. It's beautiful. The photography um, and the food styling in the book almost tells a story all on its own. And I was curious, did you arrive in Paris? And, and obviously, as we mentioned, the, your Instagram feed was sort of the inspiration as well. Were you, did you already have this photographic sensibility? Or do you think that's really been something you've refined since being in Paris? 
Well, I've always loved photography, and I think um, in at university I studied art history, and I was always attracted and interested in creating little mise-en-scenes, even from when I was a teenager, and putting things together and photographing them. Um, so I think that I had that sort of passion already, and once I kind of got into the baking and and cake making, it just so lent itself so easily to sort of creating these little scenes um, of a beautiful moment with surrounded by pastry and all the little accoutrements that go with it, like cake plates and, you know, bowls of beautiful fruit or whatever was in season. So I just kind of approached it in that way when we were making the book. Um, and of course, my photographer, Joanne Pye, who's uh, from Vancouver originally and now lives in Paris, she's a food photographer who's just amazing and so talented. And I knew right away when I got the book deal that I wanted to work with her as my photographer. We were friends uh, before that. So we had always jokingly talked about like one day if I ever did a book, I, you know, you're going to shoot it. So it was kind of amazing that that ended up happening. And she, we worked on the book for over a year, a full year to capture all the seasons in Paris so that she could actually go out and photograph, you know, Paris in the snow and winter and go to the cherry blossom trees in spring to, to include all of that in the book. Well, let's talk about that, uh, because as you just said, the book is arranged by, and organized by season, and that, that's one of your themes and, and things you picked up. So tell us more about what ingredients are seasonal in Paris in wintertime, which is not maybe the, the, the most, um, I was going to use a bad pun, fruitful season, <laughs> <laughs> and can you highlight some recipes in the book that, that, that you, know, you really love for wintertime? Sure. So even actually just this afternoon, I went to the market in my neighborhood to go pick up some things for dinner tonight. And what I saw, I mean, is in wintertime now, is just like the markets are just heaving with citrus, of course. That's like the big, most colorful thing at the markets. And beautiful clementines from Corsica with their leaves still attached. And you have lemons from Provence that are at the markets, blood oranges and little kumquats. Um, and then you have, of course, all the beautiful nuts that are in season right now. And of course, the big one being the chestnut uh, mm. that mostly comes from the Ardèche region in the east of France. And the sort I guess the two recipes that come to mind with with well, for first with citrus is there's a lemon meringue cake in the winter chapter that I my so my husband is a big citrus lemon guy. And is, you know, not into chocolate and caramel and praline and all those things, but just loves lemony things. So I sort of made this lemon meringue cake sort of in his honor because that's his favorite combination. And it's like filled with tart lemon curd and covered in meringue that gets brulee with your kitchen torch. So you get to have a little action in the kitchen with that one. Um, and the other fruit that was something that I didn't eat in California, which was one of the things that I discovered here, which are persimmons are really popular in winter and they call them uh, khaki and they're just beautiful, large, giant persimmons that are everywhere at the market stalls. And I did do a bun cake version of a persimmon cake in the book that's very kind of a more simple cake that is very soft, kind of like gingerbread, like a soft gingerbread cake. And it gets dusted with icing sugar at the end. So that was one of my favorite wintertime recipes of using something that's seasonal here. Great. And where do they, do you know where their persimmons in Paris will come from? 
You know, I don't. I've, that's something I've always wondered myself and never have had a conversation with one of the market sellers to ask about that because I know that it's, it's largely a fruit from Japan and like the Fuyu variety of persimmon. So I've never really found out exactly where in France they're coming from, especially because here everything is always marked as like Corsican clementines or lemons from Provence and they write it right on the sign. Um, and with the persimmon, I don't ever seem to see where they're coming from. So I'm going to have to make a note to ask my next uh, market visit. Yeah, I was curious because here in California, they've started, there's more cultivation of persimmons. And although I think they are these Japanese varieties, um, and I was just curious because they, they would have to come from some, I think they need a relatively warm climate to grow in, but I could be totally wrong about that. Japan is not so warm. Yeah. You know, I, uh, one of the things I do here besides baking is I lead some pastry tours. And so I eat either in Saint-Germain-de-Prés or here in the Marais, and I take people around for a few hours to uh, basically just indulge in chocolate and pastry for two hours. And we, we, I had one yesterday, and it was an American family visiting from uh, New York, and they were just amazed. We walked past a market stall, and there was just, like, tons of persimmons there, and they were like, what are those? And I'm like, those are persimmons. And they were like, we've never seen persimmons that large before. And they're just, like, giant persimmons. Um, hmm. Beautiful. I don't, again, I didn't grow up eating persimmons, so it's kind of a new thing that I'm still kind of discovering how to use them. And sort of like quince, they're a little, a little tricky, but when they ripen, they're just perfect to go inside of a cake batter. It sounds mouthwatering. And I think I wanted to touch upon that too. I think if you haven't had the chance to, to visit Paris or spend time there, it is such everywhere is a visual feast from the historic buildings to the shop windows to the markets. And I think, um, I don't know if you wanted to speak to that and, and it's sort of its influence on, on your time there and your, your, your book and your photography. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's one of the most famous outdoor markets is really close to uh, where I live, and it's the market at the Bastille that takes place on Sundays um, in the morning, really early in the morning, like 7.30 until around noon. And there's just every imaginable fruits that you, I mean, just, it's just one of those over sensory overload moments where you're walking through the market and on either side of you, you have beautiful flowers and breads and cheeses and then there's just like piles of fruits everywhere my favorite time to go of course is in summer when you have all the summer berries and like of course here in france there are about like 50 different varieties of strawberry that are just like piled high so it's just something that you i really literally the phrase a kid in a candy shop is what it feels like to be at a french market and do you, do you think, are the French uh, patisseries sticking to strawberries are out of season in the wintertime and you will not see them in the way that you do all over the States? Uh, absolutely. In fact, my, my book opens with a little anecdote about how I moved here in uh, 2012 in the middle of January from California. And I remember going to a market and not seeing strawberries and then trying another one and not seeing strawberries. And I was just like, what is going on? And I asked a salesperson at the grocery store and she was just like, you know, completely dumbfounded that I would be asking for strawberries in January. And she was like, Monsieur, like it's January, you know, you have to wait until May or June. And this was sort of my first introduction to eating seasonally. I mean, coming again from California where it's like the fruit basket for the United States, 
it's we have everything we want all year round in terms of fruits pretty much and so that was sort of a, a big shock and i have now of course learned to wait like everybody else for strawberry season to come at the end of may and june and then everybody celebrates and is happy and everything is strawberry this and strawberry that so that sort of was really something i wanted to weave through the book at how i kind of learned to celebrate the eating seasonally and celebrating like what can you make with this fruit that's that are in season and it's of course they're so delicious and my favorite being fraise de bois strawberries which are like the little forest strawberries tiny tiny little guys that pack a huge punch i love that i i think you know I've just had some strawberries in, in Los Angeles and they were fine and they were better than you'd get elsewhere, but they're not as good as in season. And it really makes things more special when you eat it at the time of year that it was meant to be. It does taste better and taste different and give it sort of feels that much more special. Exactly. And it's like a very time, sort of like time sensitive thing that you're like, okay, these are here for three weeks. I better like enjoy them to the utmost. <laughs> so, Speaking of enjoyment, and you said you're staying in, in, in Paris this year for the holidays. What, have you already planned your table? What, what do you think you'll be serving for uh, whichever holiday you celebrate or all of them? <laughs> well, we will be celebrating Christmas. Uh, actually, my, my husband's family also lives here in Paris. And so traditionally, we will go over to their house for what's here called the Réveillon du Noël, which is celebrated on the 24th uh, in the evening. And Réveillon just basically means like feast. And it's just really is this ginormous feast. I've often, French people have often told me that Réveillon de Noël, which is the Christmas feast, is sort of akin to our American Thanksgiving equivalent as far as like, there's always going to be certain staples on the table. Mm -hmm. And those staples will usually are like seafood platters with oysters and lobster. And there's always going to be, um, lots of winter cheeses, um, Beaufort cheese, which is a mountain cheese coming with very delicious hard, like Comte type of cheese. Um, and of course, the main courses usually varies, but uh, traditionally we have like sole meunier with mashed potatoes and you start, it's a very long evening. So it's like you're eating for probably three to four hours. <laughs> it's, uh, there's the aperitif and then it moves into, you know, the main course. And then of course, what my contribution this year, actually every year is of course the dessert. And I will be making the quintessential bouche de Noël or the Yule log. And there's, it's just amazing how many different types of uh, Yule logs you'll find in Paris here. It's a very sort of, I don't want to say competitive uh, pastry, but it's something that all the pastry chefs uh, will, you know, try to outdo each other every year and present their Bouche de Noël um, and vying for most beautiful or most complicated flavor combination. Uh, the, one, the one that I'm going to be making this year, of course, is from my book, um, and it's white chocolate with uh, mascarpone whipped cream, and then there's a layer of a swirl, I should say, of blackcurrant jam or cassis jam. 
and it's uh, it's it's not a it's not a not call it a, a easy recipe. It's one that does require a couple of days prep time, but it is sort of the piece de resistance of the Christmas dinner table. So that's something that I'm going to definitely plan to make this year. It sounds really fun, mouth-watering, and exactly <laughs> the kind of a, a, a dinner party celebration scene that Joya would enjoy. So is your Bouche Noël, is that one recipe that is more French, or or is it your American-style take on a Bouche Noël? There are a few recipes like the Bouche Noël in the book that I chose to really kind of approach with a more purist uh, attitude. So the Bouche, I definitely did not sort of tweak with any kind of Americanism, but I um, did add some things to it that you could like, for instance, I, I think for my recipe, there's uh, meringue mushrooms and I add like some pistachio uh, powder as like moss for the bark. And I think those kind of like going that little extra bit seems a little bit more American. <laughs> just kind of take things just a little over the top and push it into a little bit more of a fantasy situation. But because most, I think most French families who celebrate with a Bouche de Noël, it's going to be really simple. Usually it's chocolate with whipped cream inside. Um, always, you know, classic and delicious, but I definitely tried to make a little bit more of like this enchanted forest fairy tale situation happen with, with the Bouche, which I did feel was like my American side coming out of it. Well, and I think the other thing I was struck by, chances are, would you say, in Paris and actually outside, the Bouche de Noël very often will not be made at home. It will be bought from a patisserie. Yes, uh, definitely. There, Every little boulangerie or patisserie in the neighborhood will have their version of the Bouche de Noël and usually even four or five different flavors that you could choose from to find something you like. There's ice cream Bouche de Noël. So I would say, yes, most people are picking up their Bouche de Noël because it, the, the technique of rolling the cake, everybody dreads. And it's a very uh, sort of like flipping a bun cake out of the pan. It's like, is it going to break? Is it going to work? And so I think the less stress and risk that people can have on Christmas for dinner, I think the better. So I think picking up one is, is a time-honored tradition here as well. So if you want to have one at home this year here in the States, there, there's no shame in, in, in ordering one. A hundred percent. My my head note, in fact, for the Bouche de Noël in my book starts out with Baker Beware. So just putting that out there. But if you're looking for a Christmas challenge, it's on. There are those bakers out there that want that challenge. So there you have it. Three days of prep time for that one. All right. You heard it here. We're going to take another break, and we'll be back to hear Frank's Julia moment. Let us know what you think of today's show. Send us an email or voice memo to contact juliachildfoundation.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have but you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory moment or how she might have inspired them in their career. Frank, what's your Julia moment? Ooh, well, I had to go to the first time I ever had a meal at Chez George here in Paris, on the Place de Victoire, which 
pretty much the first time, I think it was the first year we moved here that winter, I knew about that being one of her favorite restaurants in the city. And I made it a mission to go and have a meal there. And once we finally made it to the restaurant uh, and sat down, it just, it just delivered on every level of what I was imagining a Parisian bistro brasserie to look like and to smell like. And when they brought, so apparently uh, from what I was told, this was sort of like Julia's first kind of introduction to Sol Munier, the fish that we mentioned earlier, uh, which is of course uh, a white fish just dripping in a bath of butter and a very traditional fish dish at most Parisian bistros. And so I had my, my sole Munier and, but what was really uh, one of my Julia moments and felt that the spirit of Julia was definitely there with us in the restaurant was when the waiter wheeled out the chariot of cheese. And mm-hmm. I just jaw drop, not like eyes just bugging out. I don't think I'd ever seen this amount of variety of cheese in my life. I mean, there were at least 20 to 25 different varieties of from like almost every region in France, just on display in this just lavish display on this silver chariot that they wheeled out in front of our table. And we just kind of got to pick which cheeses we wanted to try. And I just felt like that was this moment that I could understand that joy of eating something so delicious and discovering some something new that I had never tried before on the plate. And then of course, adding in the glamour and of, of this Parisian restaurant and this beautiful Place, Place de Victoire is stunning in the first arrondissement and the second, uh, really close to uh, the Palais Royal Gardens. So after dinner, we kind of just strolled through the gardens of the Palais Royal right down to the, the Seine. So that was one of those magical kind of meals in Paris. And there have been many since then, but that was sort of that first moment that we moved here that I was sort of chasing that Julia moment. And I was, everything was delivered uh, for me as Jay George at that moment. Oh, that's a picture very well painted. Well, thank you for <laughs> joining us and thank you for that Julia moment. Um, it's great to have you on. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And happy baking to everybody for the holidays. Yes, we'll, we'll need some, some Parisian magic to uh, carry us through. Thanks, everyone, for listening. For the feed that started it all, you can check out at CakeBoyParis on Instagram and CakeBoyParis.com for more about Frank's workshops and tours of Paris. The book is Sweet Paris, Seasonal Recipes from an American Baker in France by Frank Adrian Barron with photographs by Joanne Pye. It's available now from Harper Design. You can ask or search for it at your favorite bookseller. Wishing you happy holidays and a bountiful 2023. We'll be back with more episodes in the new year. For all the latest from the foundation, it's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. I'm at T. Shulkin on Instagram. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at GBH. Thanks to my co-producer at the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer, Heritage Radio Network, Armin Spengen. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next season 
on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.